For 45 years, Catapult Learning has partnered with Catholic schools and dioceses to provide high-quality supplemental instruction, specialized services, and customized professional development. Today, they work with more than 2,000 Catholic schools across the country to support their academic mission of providing every child with an excellent education. Please visit the Catapult website today at catapultlearning.com or call 800-841-8730, 800-841-8730 for more information. Thank you Catapult for serving our schools and thank you for being an NCEA partner. Greetings, thank you for joining our NCA podcast. We're very happy today to have Father Ron Nuzzi as our guest. Father, could you please tell everyone about yourself? Most people know you through Notre Dame, but you work with Catapult now. And so if you wanna talk about where you've been, where you, where you are now in your career, I think everyone would like to hear about you. Thanks so much, Kathy. It's great to be with you. I, uh, I'm, I'm a diocesan priest. Uh, my home uh, diocese uh, is the Diocese of Youngstown, Ohio, in, uh, in northeastern Ohio, the northeast corner. And uh, currently, I'm the executive director of um, executive director of equity and excellence at uh, at Catapult Learning. But yes, I've had a uh, long career in Catholic higher education, um, taught uh, and, and started programs uh, for Catholic school leaders at the University of Notre Dame here in South Bend, uh, at St. Louis University in uh, in Missouri and at the University of Dayton uh, uh, in Southern Ohio. I began my uh, career even as a priest uh, teaching, uh, both in elementary uh, and high schools, uh, moved into higher ed and now uh, now doing some work in advocacy and, and policy and, uh, and, and supporting our friends and colleagues in Catholic schools. No, that's great. And I can't think of diff more different weather climates in the summer than St. Louis and South Bend. <laughs> St. Louis had very uh, thick humidity, although uh, I, I miss some of the cultural attractions of St. Louis. But it's uh, yeah, it's it's a different uh, it's a different place. It, it is. It is totally different. And so, Father, you said elementary school. I didn't know you had been in elementary schools. What did you do in elementary schools? Uh, so when I was uh, first ordained, um, I uh, was in a parish and um, was anxious to teach. So yeah, I taught. Uh, uh, I taught religion and Spanish uh, and Latin uh, in the parish elementary school, and um, after a few years, uh, moved on to uh, Catholic high school, uh, all in my uh, home diocese. So what high school were you at in the Diocese of Youngstown? I was at uh, Ashtabula St. John um, on, the south, on the south shore of Lake Erie. Um, you know, near the Pennsylvania, you know, near the Pennsylvania border, though. No, I say that only because uh, I, I just feel... Uh, feel very blessed and, and, and very fortunate in that, as a teacher anyway, I have, uh, I have taught at every level that Catholic education exists, elementary, high school, undergrad, grad, doctoral. So um, I, I don't know a whole lot, but the one thing I know a lot about is, is, the, is Catholic education, because I've just, I say, I've been privileged to, to teach uh, and 
and, and be a student really in every level that, that Catholic education has to offer. Yeah, the only level I haven't done is the PhD. But other than that, I'm with you, and it is a privilege, isn't it? It's wonderful. So we're going to talk about Catholic school leadership today with you and, and Catholic school education. But um, I always like to hear vocation stories. So can you tell us about when you first had the inclination that you might want to be a priest, and then when you knew that God was calling you for your life's work in that direction? Uh, sure. A uh, very common question, especially like during vocation week. Um, I was a, a Rotary Club, uh, International Rotary Club exchange student while I was in high school. I spent my senior year of high school uh, in central Mexico uh, in a town called Aguascalientes. And um, it was during that time, um, you know, with my host family and immersed in uh, southern Mexican culture, uh, that I first, uh, you know, began thinking about it, um, began thinking about, you know, what to do after high school, but began to thinking about perhaps, uh, going to the seminary, but, uh, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't give, uh, Mexico all the credit or the blame for that. I did have very, uh, strong experience of, um, Catholic leadership, strong Catholic schools, uh, strong clergy, uh, while growing up. Um, my home parish, uh, was served by, uh, priests of religious order of the most precious blood and sisters the doors of the precious blood. They're kind of an Italian communities. Um, I had uh, third order regular Franciscans in high school. Uh, you know, so I, I had I had very strong uh, examples, but it was a, a priest of the most precious blood, uh, Father Anthony Teolis, who was the first person who ever asked me about, have you ever thought about uh, being a priest? That's a wonderful story. Um, my son went to a college ran by the priest of, of the most precious blood and um, great experience for him and wonderful priest. So I, I'm not surprised that they would tap people on the shoulder and invite them in. Another area in our church where we need to tap people on the shoulder is to become Catholic school teachers and principals. So how do you feel about that? How do you feel we should go about recruiting people to become Catholic school teachers and Catholic school leaders because um, we're in need. Um, I know principals who are looking right now for teachers and are, are struggling to find teachers. Um, and how do you think we should be going about this, inviting them into our work? Well, honestly, uh, Kathy, there's, a, uh, there's just a tremendous need uh, for service uh, and ministry and leadership in every level of Catholic education. You mentioned uh, teachers and uh, principals where I know the need is great. Uh, it's also great at the, at the level of the central office of the superintendent. As, as I'm sure you know, they're just, there's always, uh, they're very challenging positions and there's just always uh, transitions. And I think the situation we find ourselves in right now, this sort of uh, post-pandemic uh, recovery mode, that um, I, I, I think there's a fear, a well-founded fear that, uh, you know, because of some of the burdens of uh, the past year that, you know, some folks have had enough and are just moving on or moving on to uh, moving on to other things. The um, the vocational call to service uh, and to ministry, um, you know, that uh, that comes as a movement of the spirit and comes as a gift uh, from God. Um, so I think your question is, you know, how do we uh, how do we support that and how do we uh, invite people to uh, consider that call? And I, I think that is something that's done. Um, you know, more prayerfully and, you know, in terms of, um, you know, discernment and what, you know, God is calling 
and asking of, of any, any one of us rather than sort of, um, you know, clever marketing or clever, uh, or clever advertising. I mean, most people who are in the, the Ministry of Catholic Education are not in it for, you know, financial rewards because we all know um, we all know that more money can be can be made elsewhere. It's it's really about you know calling forth those uh, th- those gifts of the spirit that uh, dwell deep in each one of us. I I could not agree more. I mean, you said something that we're not in it for financial rewards, and, and I agree with that. Um, but I also worry that so much is expected of Catholic education that's not expected of other Catholic ministries. Um, for example, diocese hire attorneys, they don't necessarily pay them much less than they would make in the other private sector or public sector. Um, we Catholic hospitals, we don't expect nurses and doctors to work for less. Why do you think it is that we expect Catholic educators to work for less? Well, I think that's, uh, that's that, that could keep us busy for a long time. I think the principal reason there is historical. Um, but it's uh, it's also one of the reasons, you know, I've done what I've done in my career. When I say the reason is historical, I mean that, you know, for years and years and years, decades ago, and certainly when I was growing up, but through the 40s, 50s, 60s, and most of the 70s, um, you know, Catholic schools were populated by men and women religious, mostly about uh, women religious, who, you know, served as teachers uh, and administrators. And, you know, they built and ran this, you know, system of Catholic education basically on their poverty. Uh, and their commitment of faith, but you know they work for nothing or, or, or for little next to nothing. We're still trying to recover from that. You know we have that annual collection for retired religious, you yeah. know every Advent because we, you know we didn't pay them a wage um, and give them any benefits. You know while, while they were building the system. Now you know now that you know 97, 98 percent of those in Catholic school ministries are are, are lay men and women. You know we have some um, we have some catching up to do. Uh, and I, I say this is related to my own history because, you know, one of the things I've been doing, it, well, it's not one thing, it's the thing I've been doing is trying to help support education formation programs for people who want to teach and be principals in Catholic schools because, as you said, the, the, the skill set is a little different. You know, there, there's more, you know, asked of us. So I've been trying to, um, you know, bring that uh, faith dimension and spiritual dimension that the religious would have had. Uh, in their formation into the preparation and education of current teachers uh, and administrators. But because I think of that legacy, um, and it's a beautiful legacy, don't get me wrong, it's a beautiful and strong legacy and the the reason we're all here, um, we've had this historical pattern of being, uh, you know, being underpaid and overworked. We do. And I I don't know what impact it has on us, um, but I I think it might have some impact um, on people. So um, what gives you hope? What makes you think that our system is going to last for the next 150 years or the next 1,000 years? Um, what gives you hope in Catholic education? I think this is a time of great hope and great, great optimism. So what gives you hope? I have always been struck uh, over the years. Uh, I'm ordained 37 years this year. Um, I, I have always been struck over the years of the... Uh, quiet confidence uh, that people have in our community of faith. Come what may, um, there's been, uh, you know, there, there have been multiple uh, crises of faith and management and you, you name the topic or the theme that I, I you know, I can recall uh, going through uh, yeah, in my priesthood and in my, in my life in the church. 
And, you know, no matter what happens, no matter what we do, um, you know, there's a there's a faithful core that just has a quiet confidence in what it means to be a Catholic and to be involved in a community of faith and a parish uh, in a school, in a university. Um, it, it's almost like, you know, whatever mistakes we make, you know, you, you, you can't. It, I, it's a sign of the Holy Spirit to me, you know, we, that we, you know, we could that we could be so poor in our administration and leadership sometimes, and yet still we endure. Um, but people have this confidence uh, and, and this trust uh, in the community, and um, the faith that's shared in the community. And I, and I think we've demonstrated over the years, too, uh, which I think is the, the the source of this confidence that you know a faith well lived, uh, a faith well celebrated. Is uh, is really a conducive environment for academic achievement, um, and there's just lots of structures and disciplines and rituals and celebrations in uh, Catholicism that um, that that you know that are, are good conditions for for learning and growth and for all the goals we want to uh, accomplish uh, in a school. A, a life of faith well lived is is uh, is predictive of academic excellence. So I I, I think. People, uh, people experience that in their own lives, and then when they become parents and have children of their own, they want they want the same for for their loved ones. I, I think you're right about that, and I and I do feel like um, sometimes people will say that you know you have to be a a really strong Catholic school with great Catholic identity, and others say you have to be a really strong school with great academics. And the truth of it is, you have to be both. So the leadership needs to embody both. No, it's so true. It's so true. Yeah, it's not a, it's not an either or when it comes to uh, academic excellence and Catholic identity. No, and I think you're right when you say that that you can't have one without the other. They just go together, um, and I think that that's very true. So when you work with um, leaders, young leaders in in our church, people who who will definitely be in charge when I'm gone. What, what's the great skills you see that they have or the great attributes that they have that tell you that they're going to be wonderful leaders and we're okay, the church is fine, and we're, we're going to be in great hands? Well, one of the things I, I think that's important that's sort of the, um, you know, the, when we talk about Catholic school people having more required of them, one of the, one of the, the add-ons that's, that's really, you know, essential uh, and again, this comes out of our legacy, but one, one of those essential skills is um, to learn to speak comfortably uh, of your faith, uh, to share your ongoing faith development and discernment. Um, and I've always tried to help uh, emerging school leaders, you know, be comfortable not only in leading prayer, but of, you know, speaking of the Spirit's movement in their own life and how they see God's unfolding plan in the life of their school. Um, and in, in, in the lives of the, of the families uh, they serve, it, it, it not only means bringing the language of faith uh, into their work, but, you know, but living it and discerning it. So it's, it's just not asking them to speak. It's asking them to be uh, prayerful, discerning, uh, thoughtful people. So I, I think, um, well, I've always, uh, I've always told uh, my, my graduate students on the first day that, you know, Catholic school leadership begins on your knees. You know, you have to discern and interpret God's ongoing revelation in your own life with some credibility uh, before you can uh, do that uh, for the school community. But I, I think that's what we mean when we say the principal is the spiritual leader of, of the school. And and to do that well, uh, to be a credible witness of 
how the Spirit is working through our school and through what we're experiencing this year in school, you have to have some sense in, in your own life and in your own family, and in your own marriage, in your own relationships of what God is calling you to and what kind of work the Spirit is up to um, in your own life. It takes some skill and practice to be comfortable sharing that in a compelling way that's not, you know, schmaltzy or, you know, over the top or, you know, mm-hmm. makes people uncomfortable. Um, but I, I think it's an important, uh, I think it's an important, important skill. Uh, if a, if a school leader is known as a person of faith, um, it also covers a multitude of sins. You know, if people understand you're that pilgrim on a journey with them, uh, I think they're inclined to cut you a lot more slack for the mistakes you'll inevitably make. I, I think that's probably very true. I know that um, people who forgive me are people who are on a faith journey with me. And so I think that you're, you're, you're very right on that. And um, I think it's good for leaders to understand that if you share that journey, people will give you a little more grace. And so it's worth doing um, and, and it's very important to do. So our Catholic school leaders, you referred to it earlier, they have so many skill sets they need. They need to know about finances. They need to know about instructional practices. They need to know about faith and how to evangelize. How do you think we can support school leaders, teachers who need all these skills? And um, how can we support them? How can we help them to develop these skills? One of the things that... um... I have been uh, struck by over the years um, is this, um, you know, the sort of overwhelming sense of responsibility uh, that many uh, that many leaders experience uh, in the principalship or you know in the central office. And I, again, I think part of it is related to our history. So I think one of the things um, we need to do a better job at as church and supporting folks is uh, to develop. And you know to articulate and to celebrate um, a more uh, clear and compelling spirituality of, of married life uh, as opposed to religious life. Um, I, I say that because you know the religious I've referred to earlier in our history, you know they they give their lives um, and, and many continue to still give their lives to you know the work they do. Um, they have responsibilities in community, but it's not the same as being a spouse and a mom uh, or a dad and, and, and being responsible for a family. And I, I think one of the challenges we, we have not addressed is, um, you know, now with lay leadership of, of Catholic education, we kind of still expect people to work like they're God religious, you know, 15 hours a day, um, you know, 70 hours a week, um, not having thoughtfully considered um the spirituality uh, of marriage and the sanctity of marriage and what uh, and what responsibilities and joys and struggles it takes to you know maintain a relationship with uh, a spouse and, and family uh, and, and children. So I, I've uh, I have noticed that over the years that um, you know in in asking and challenging and inviting um, aspiring principals you know to think about this that they they really struggle with the work life balance. Um, and uh, we we haven't had a lot of supports in place uh, to address that. We just you know expect them to work more and more as if they were religious. I, I think that's true. I do think that people. Um, I think the younger generation has helped my generation understand that you don't have to work quite as many hours as we have. 
Um, I think they're more willing to to seek that work-life balance at a lot earlier age than maybe I was or, or my generation. So I appreciate that about them. Um, you know, they, they tell me, you know, I need time off or, and they tell me no. And I don't think I ever told my boss, no, they would ask me to do something and I would just do it. So, um, but it, it's good. I, I, they're right. They're good. And I always think they're the, the age of my children and I would want my children to say no. So I'm, um, you know, I, I'm very happy when that happens. No, that's so uh, that that that's so true. There's the there's the uh, you know traditional Catholic guilt that goes along with people of a certain age saying no. You know, I think your experience is is is, is shared uh, it's shared globally. You don't, you don't tell you don't tell the boss no, <laughs> especially when they wear a collar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Amen. Yeah, I, I still struggle with the collars and the crosses. It's just hard. It's, it's just difficult for me. So, um, Father, you were a teacher. I think you're still a teacher at heart. So what is the best lesson you ever taught? What is the best lesson I ever taught? Uh, Any age, because you've taught them all. Yeah, I don't know that it's the best lesson ever ever I taught, but it's uh, it's certainly a a memorable lesson. When I was teaching high school um, back in my home diocese uh, in the 1980s, we were in... um, the American bishops were in the process of writing a pastoral uh, letter on uh, on nuclear arms. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they end up calling it the Peace Pastoral. Um, Cardinal Bernadine was, uh, God rest his soul, was at the time kind of leading the charge. And there was a big debate going on in the country about the morality, not only of the use of nuclear weapons, but the bishops were um, you know, trying to discern whether it was even ethical to possess a nuclear weapon because possession of it, and, you know, meant intent to use it. Otherwise, there'd be no you know, reason to have it. And uh, so there was this debate going on. And, you know, a lot of Catholics were talking about uh, nuclear arms. And uh, I was I was actually student teaching, but I was asked to uh, teach a lesson and do a project with uh, my social justice class, who were juniors at the time, um, on uh, what would happen if a uh, nuclear weapon were detonated over the city we were in, which is Youngstown at the time. And um, so there was a lot of studying that went around about the capacity of, um, you know, nuclear weapons and the kind of uh, destruction they charge, they caused. And the, the plan was that the students had to buy a map and, you know, kind of put it up on a, on a board and then with concentric circles show you know, what would happen and then analyze based on what's in that geographical area, the families, the buildings, the factories, the businesses, the children's, the schools that would be impacted by a bomb of, you know, so many megatons. Um, So, I mean, it was just one of these all engaging things that involved a lot of other departments because they had to, uh, you know, research. uh, This is, of course, pre-internet. So they had to research, you know, not only uh, demography, but, uh, but also, you know, sociology and architecture and, and things like that. And th- anyway, it ended up uh, it ended up being a wonderful uh, lesson, a wonderful project. Made the news. Uh, certainly would have been uh, it would have been online today if if, uh, if if it happened today. But it was this wonderful, encompassing, interdisciplinary um, religion lesson that in, you know invited a lot of other departments and another a lot of other subjects into it and. Um, it was it was very rich uh, too in terms of you know the maps and the visuals and uh, there was actually like a little a little peace fair uh, about it that uh, 
that the diocese had. So it was it was very memorable. And and very timely. I mean, that was, I remember the 80s. I'm up at the age that I can definitely remember them. And that was on everyone's mind. So really, you brought something that was happening in the world into the classroom. And the fact that other departments, I think in all high schools, um, we have to fight for that interdisciplinary study and and theology, science, math, you have a lot of different departments working there. And I think that's wonderful. It sounds like an excellent lesson and one that could still be done today because the threat of nuclear weapons is still is still with us, although I don't think we talk about it very much anymore. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was great fun. And the reason I even uh, it reason even came to mind is because uh, many of those students, I mean, at least a half a dozen of those students uh, still remember that lesson uh, today and you know when I hear from them or see them, uh, they, they 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 remind me of uh, you know the impact uh, you know that it made it uh, you know it it made them uh, you know it just made them more thoughtful conscientious uh, voters as adults too. And that's great. And the fact that it started with a church document that was being written that's excellent. Um, it makes me wonder what what teachers will do today with uh, with everything that's going on in the world and the church's response to it. So that it's very. It's it's very timely answer. So that's the best lesson you ever taught. What's the best lesson you've ever learned? Oh my! Uh, <laughs> um, it's hard. Yeah, again, I don't know if I would say best, but you know, in terms of memorable, again, it's something I always go back to. Uh, I was blessed. Um, I was blessed as uh, as a seminarian and as uh, a newly ordained priest. Um, early in my priesthood to study moral theology uh, with Father Richard McCormick, uh, Jesuit theologian and now deceased. Um, he actually ended his career uh, uh, here at the University of Notre Dame. Um, I would say, you know, of everything I learned uh, in the seminary and in theology and scripture, um, Father McCormick's uh, approach uh, to moral theology and uh, his thinking in terms of, you know, understanding the dynamics of, you know, moral decisions that people made certainly been the most, uh, of the, among the most impactful education uh, that I've been privileged uh, to, to participate in. Just a, just a giant of Catholic moral tradition in my view. And I'm guessing he's someone who challenged you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And still does. I mean, I still, uh, I still end up going back to some of his uh, some of his writings uh, and recordings in dealing to deal with issues today that you know weren't weren't around when uh, right went around when he it was around the the issues keep coming in but having the framework to deal with them I think is really important so um you get the last word father if you were talking to a group of um, principal wannabes or um, superintendent wannabes. What, what's the one bit of advice you would get them as they are discerning their vocation? Well, uh, I think in this uh, in this age of the church, uh, you know, that we find ourselves uh, so uh, so many challenges, uh, so so many different uh, fronts to address um, and, and needs to administer to. Uh, I, I just think it's critically important for our uh, our, our school leaders and um, even our parish uh, leaders. Uh, to be well rooted uh, in the faith um, and in the tradition, uh, and to take good care of themselves uh, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, physically, because um, you know you can't you can't give what you don't have, as um, 
you know, it was an old uh, spirit, spiritual proverb. That said, the challenges are many. So, um, well, you, you take care of yourself to make yourself strong. You don't make yourself strong so you're the strongest person around or so you can stand in front of the mirror flexing like I, I see some people in the, in the local gym doing. You make yourself strong in all those ways so you can be present to other people uh, in helpful ways. Uh, so, you know, I, I would encourage our emerging and aspiring and current leaders uh, uh, to do that, to, to, to attend to self-care for their own spiritual, emotional, uh, and psychological needs, but to do so not selfishly, uh, but uh, to prepare themselves uh, to be present to other people in inviting uh, and compelling ways.